0: Give me fuel, give me fire, give me that which I desire
1: Hey everybody and welcome to episode 57 of Metallicast, the Metallica podcast. I'm your host and fellow Metallica fan, my name is Brandon. On this episode I'm joined by two members of the epic doom metal band Crip Sermon. I am joined for the second time on MetallicaCast vocalist Brooks Wilson and guitarist Steve Jansen. The two of them appeared for the first time back in May of 2020. On that episode, we talked a lot about Crip Sermon, a little bit about Metallica. This time around, we have flip-flopped, so we talk a little bit about Crip Sermon and a whole lot about Metallica. Metallica is one of their favorite bands and one of their biggest influences, and they were very gracious with their time. We're talking for about 90 minutes with me about, well our favorite band. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Brooks and Steve from Crip Sermon. My guests today are vocalist Brooks Wilson and guitarist Steve Jansen of the epic doom metal band Crip Sermon. Both were on the show back in May. We talked a lot about the band, including the making of their last album, The Ruins of Fading Light, which I highly recommend. I'm a big fan of the the band and of that album. I promised at the end of the episode I would try to get them back for a full-on Metallica episode, and fortunately, they have both agreed. Brooks and Steve, welcome back to Metallicast
2: hey thanks for having us
1: pleasure is all mine i know we talked a little bit about this uh the first time you were around uh the first time you were on uh but just to sort of refresh the memories of the listeners what was your entry point into the band and how did you kind of stumble upon them and become fans steve go ahead oh um
2: god it's so long ago now um i my best friend my best friend childhood friend and it was actually his younger brother uh, brought home ride the lightning he got it for Christmas or something like that I, mean, I forget. I forgot how old I was and I remember hearing it coming from his bedroom just being like what the fuck what's that that's fucking awesome it's cool and um and then I saw the cover you know, you know how that cover is it just grabs you instantaneously like you think it's the coolest oh, thing yeah. ever um, the, it's getting a little fuzzy now. It's been a long time, but, um, yeah, I got into them through Ride the Lightning and then I just bought, you know, everything, everything up until that point, which I think garage had just dropped or something. So that was like everything back then.
1: And Brooks, what about for you? Cause I know you have a very varied background. I know last time we talked about being into, country and pop and i i if i recall your you you got into kind of melon rock a little bit later or maybe it was all part of the whole thing
0: all part. Uh, i think uh the first type of music i mean uh I, i've been into music since i was little but um were, were it not for uh, metallica i guess um, metallica and allison chains um i wouldn't be a musician um you know familiar with metallica from like um how old are you in second grade nine years old let's say um watching music videos with my cousins um when when black album was coming out and um and then you know hearing it on the radio hearing metallica on the radio um through the years and then being of the, I think, sixth or seventh grade, uh, what are you like? You're like 11, or 12, maybe 12, something like yeah, that. Yeah, around there. And, and like allowed to start liking your own music. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, a load was coming out or something. Um, so uh, essentially, I got in because I started buying CDs with my own money around that time or something like that. Um, you know, I got the contemporary metal albums that came out at that time. And of course, like Metallica was in in that, um, you know, that early haul of of things that I was allowed to buy for myself. So, I mean, there, you know, that was, I, I didn't, even at the time that that came out, I didn't like love load. But now I think there's, like, a a good album on Load. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Between Load and and Reload, there's a really great album. Um, You know, even the Black Album could be slimmed down some, but that's just because it's so ambitiously long. Uh, But, uh, I I mean, I I guess my journey was, like, buying those albums and then going through the used bins and buying older Metallica albums. So I did this with just about every band. Yeah. I I you know so Metallica and uh, Sepultura, Megadeth. I, I would buy the album and then I'd go through the used bins later and buy their older stuff. And generally, you come to learn that like you know <laughs> further back in some of those bands' catalogs you go, the even the even better it gets. Uh, you know that I mean yeah, Metallica was one of those bands that I. Even when it was cool to like, you know, shit. Um, for me, I was like always yep. the band. They're like my football team. I don't really like sports, but like I imagine that's what liking <laughs> the football teams like. Yeah,
1: you know. <laughs> yeah, we have to. I, I have a similar entry point as you, Brooks. Where the Black album was the first album I owned, and I remember Load coming out when I was in sixth grade, and that was the first CD I ever owned. I like just got a CD player. I went out, got Load. And I remember going to my local CD store and looking at the Metallica section. And I was like, they have other albums. And I was like, <laughs> and I was like, let me go, I'm just, you know, looking through. I'm like, which album cover do I think I can bring home and piss my mom off with the most? So I settled on "Kill 'Em All. I was like, that's a strong album title. We got blood, you know, like checking off the boxes. I come home. I put on the album, and I had the opposite reaction of you know the the old school '80s metalheads when they heard Low. They're like, "This isn't the same band." I listened to Come All, I was like, yeah. "This isn't the same band." And I'm like holding the album cover next to like, you're like if, you're, if, if you if you recall on the back of Low, they you know they got the, obviously the short hair, the suits, they're like drinking martinis, yeah. smoking cigars, yeah. Yeah. and then on Come All, they're just like eighteen pimple face, like long hair. I'm like this is the same band? I'm like, who's this Cliff Burden guy? Where's Jason Newstead? And, uh, and then, uh, you know, obviously I caught up and educated myself. Yeah. But um, it took me a few listens to like understand and uh, appreciate Kill em All. And then once I did, I just ate up the rest of it. But it, it's funny. Uh, I, I talked to a lot of people on this podcast and everybody's got a different entry point because Metallica is just one of those bands that, you know, whether it's the 80s, the 90s the 2000s or the 2010s or now you know the 2020s they there's still new fans joining on board you know
0: yeah i i mean like that was you bring up a good point in in that like uh, one thing like with with my sort of sports fandom that i have with metallica like I was that that was a thing that I found very refreshing about um hardwired was that they like there was like a really big array of what what Metallica as a band is capable of like the style of song that they're capable of writing. And yeah, like there's like a lot of good stuff on that album. So you know it, it, it's it, I think that album coming out also sort of really refreshed my love of the band. You know, they were always a band that, like, I stuck with, even, like, you know, I don't really, I don't really love St. Anger and Death Magnetics, like, it's got some good songs on it, but, yeah. like, you know, I, you know, I, Hardwired, like, kind of reinvigorated me as to, as to, like, how much I care about the band, and how important, they, like, they were to, assume, like, my musical journey, I guess.
1: I was gonna ask you guys if you guys had any kind of, uh, relationship with the, the more recent stuff, because I agree with you, Brooks. I think when I heard Hardwired to Self-Destruct, uh, you know, that to me was like a good summary of sort of everything that they've done as a band. You know, you have elements of the first four albums, the Black Album, the Load Reload era, just sort of te- took it all and put it in a blender. And the songs, I thought, were really solid. Um, and And I think a lot of people agreed. It was definitely the most, positively received album in uh recent years so i was curious to, to hear what your uh relationship with the more recent albums were steve do you have are, have you kind of dug into any of that or so actually
2: i mean obviously like saint anger death magnetic I it was kind of at a pace in my life where i like i, I kind of fell off with them, like people typically do when they're really into metal, they get, you know, they get into Metallica, and sometimes they just, you know, you get into black and death metal and everything else. Metallica's not cool anymore. Then you get older and realize you're a dumbass. And, <laughs> <laughs> and um, but, um, yeah, so, the new album, what's the, what's the first single from that song? I'm drawing a blank. Uh, Moth in the Flame?
1: Yeah, the that was of one of the first ones, yeah.
2: So, that song, um, I thought it was a legitimately fucking awesome song, um, mostly because it kind of, they kind of went back. It didn't, it's not an overly long track, but they went back to doing what they do best. And, um, they had, they pack in a lot of really clever arrangements and ideas that are just, that are always a little surprising. Um, but I, it just felt a little more ambitious than the sort of bluesy laid back, like bluesy, I guess, Sabbath rock for the lack of a better term. Um, right. Somebody might think I'm wrong, but I thought that that song sort of finally caught like what they did um, back in the 80s and a little bit of what they did like in the nineties, sort of with the black album. So it felt, it it felt like a black album song with like a more eighties arrangement with them.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I agree. They had sort of the melody and the big hooks, but it breaks into those thrashier moments and it definitely gels both worlds together.
2: Yeah. I, um, I definitely listened to that song a lot when it came out and I liked it. Um, I haven't I can't say I've listened to that record in a long time and I know it had some you know, like a lot of their new stuff it had some some good, some not so good, some some terrible and some great. Um but they they paid their dues. Like anyone who's just I guess, you know, when you set the bar that high, everyone gets so fucking hypercritical of every little thing they do.
1: Yeah, I was talking about this with uh a guest a few months ago just about how I feel like St. Anger was actually one of those first albums where when it came out, the internet put it under a microscope, and now all of a sudden everybody had a voice, and everybody was a critic, and that has definitely continued, and if anything, gotten worse with the loss of whether it's YouTube comments or, you know, I I, I love being on Twitter and interacting with listeners of the show, but it also can be a toxic place depending on if you— run into the wrong person and it, you know, just sort of everybody has to feels the need to put in their two cents. Um, and I feel like now every album coming out from artists, I'm sure you guys might've even experienced this on some level since you, uh, the, you know, that everybody's got their, whether it's good, bad, indifferent, everybody's feels the need to post something. And I, I a band like Metallica, I just feel like is always put under, uh, you know this microscope where people are still arguing about like the haircuts in 1996. People are still arguing about like the snare sounds on Saint Anger, which came out like all the way in 2003. And like these it, arguments, maybe it it's just it should have been Lars, dude. They would have never
2: done that if Cliff was still alive. I mean, you were it's... fucking burton's friend. You're like, oh, you yeah. know, it, it's that shit drives me crazy. Yeah. Oh man, they would never do that, with Cliff. Or life. Like, what? Was he your fucking friend? Like, yeah. I don't know. It's like, it's like you know. But I, I get it. It's like the myth, the mythos behind it all. Yeah,
1: but you know what? They it, the band always says too, like Cliff Burden was the one that you know was listening to southern rock and country western and classical and jazz, and they were just listening to like Motorhead and Misfits. <laughs> so. He was he was the most yeah. adventurous one of all of the musically.
2: Oh, uh, I mean, he opened them up real wide. Yeah, uh, that's for I sure. Think, you um, know,
0: regarding regarding the uh, the sort of like um sort of microscope that Metallica operates under, I, I I can't help but think that they also invited a lot of that. You know, they they got involved, of in, course, in sort of like ambitious things uh, Mm -hmm. their their legal department is a little like overreaching i think and uh, yeah but on the other hand like i you know i think steve and i've talked about this a lot of times like lars like the thing that lars said was going to happen with napster happened like Mm -hmm. like he was largely right about what would happen to the music industry as a result of music sharing I, yeah, that's the reality we live in now and th- it's just like one of those things like mm-hmm. i don't he unfortunately didn't have any foresight on like proposing any legislation regarding that but yeah you know, it, it, on the other hand like now it, it, i don't think that that's sh- one of those things that should have been outlawed because like you know i'm not <laughs> you know i Essentially, I pay my taxes by like subscribing to a music service, right? Like, yeah, but even that, like, yeah, I mean, it, it definitely like is a, is a thing that Steve and I have talked about a lot, like factoring into like decision making regarding being in a band now, like, yeah, know, being in an event av- in a yep. band is like a fight is a financial investment rather than you don't even you don't reap rewards quite as quickly.
1: Sure. Yeah yeah and i think that's why you see a lot of musicians metallica included where you know it used to be kind of taboo back in the day like to have your song in a commercial mm-hmm. or to or even a video game and now it's like yes take it in this ford commercial put it in you know madden or whatever video game like because that's where uh, you know the the licensing money uh, that's where bands can really get a big chunk of uh money uh, in certain situations
0: do you know, or I mean,
1: at least if, exposure
0: do you know culturally where that that shift started i can pinpoint mm-hmm. i can pinpoint the the moment that that changed was with tony hawk pro skater mm. like that being uh, like the first sort of mainstream like thing that had like underground punk bands on it like yeah and, good call and people were just like jumping to be on those soundtracks and stuff like video games have always been fair game you know it's like people yeah, yeah, want yeah. to jump down uh what's it um, Wumba's throat <laughs> 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 Wumba'd get on any video game they could they just did one commercial ever you know <laughs>
1: yeah i mean in i there's uh I, I think technology is amazing but it's also like i'm like it's amazing that I have my cell phone right here and all my music is on this right. thing. I remember, you know, when I was a kid, my dis man, I'd carry a, if I went away on vacation for a week, I would bring like a duffel bag just of CDs. <laughs> and now it's all in this little thing. But on the flip side, it sort of weakens it, you know.
0: Oh, yeah.
2: Yeah. I still have all my CDs, and I refuse to care for them. Uh, in fact, I was just, I, like, I have a bunch of them still at my parents' house uh, back home. Like, I have a bunch here because so we're moving. And uh, we were packing them up, and it was just, like, I was pulling out, you know, obviously I bought a lot, but I pulled out, like, some burn CDs, and I, like, took a picture of it, sent it to, like, my friend from back in high school. It's like, hey, remember you burned for me? It probably took us, like, all fucking day.
1: Like... <laughs> so like i still have it do you remember um queuing up or listening to the radio waiting for that song and then so you could press record on your cassette and you would was always the worst version because it was on radio you'd have the dj talking at like the beginning and end you know yeah but it was like oh i want to hear my new uh my new song with the new Metallica single or whatever. Yeah. So I'm going to record it on radio and I, listen to it. <laughs> I,
0: I, meant, I mentioned um how Alice in Chains was like such a big deal for me, but that was like the first band I yeah. ever did that with, you know? Yeah. It was, like the I,
1: I remember before I, so after I bought Kill 'Em All, before I dove head first into like Ride the Lightning, Master Puppets, and Injustice for All, I remember a local radio station did, metallica a to z and they played their entire catalog up to that point in alphabetical order oh, wow. so i remember just like any song i did not own like pressing record on and so I, it so somewhere i'm not sure if i still have it but somewhere there's a, a cassette that has like you know the abcs of metallica with you know i but that's the first time i heard like blackened and like all these great songs and uh, yeah. Crash course in brain surgery from, you know, garage days and right. stuff. And it's like just a shitty recording from uh, the radio. <laughs> That's actually
0: a kind of a cool artifact, though. Like that, yeah. that yeah. radio program itself was it was an incredibly, like, important, like, little piece of radio that you got.
1: And And now, you know, that was a radio station back home. And now you go back home and it's like, that radio station does not even exist anymore. Right. It's like, you know, turned into whatever oh, it's so sad but
2: yeah there was a um college radio station i used to listen to back home um and there's DJ that played pun metal and i used to call in and uh, i used to just request all kinds of shit because I, I didn't have anything yet at the time and i was just yeah. a lot of stuff i just like was, like think i've seen pictures of i was like oh that was cool i'm gonna request this and hear what it sounds like <laughs> but i remember i was i was um I called all the time. <laughs> and the D Day was this called year old like, What are you doing tonight? It's like, We're going to a party. I was like, I'm thirteen years old. <laughs> I guess I had a lower voice. She was just like, Oh Jesus, you sound a lot older. It's like, yeah, I'm thirteen.
1: <laughs> Sorry. I've had this to the voice. Party. I've had this voice since like second grade. <laughs> no joke. I I remember being in second grade calling my friend Russell. This and I, this is a true story. I called and I was like, hi, is Russell home? And his mother was like, who is this? And I was like, Brandon. She's like, <laughs> Brandon? who?" She, I'm like, Brandon, I'm in his class. She's like, can I speak to your mother? And my mom had to go on and confirm. I'm like, that's, yep, that's my, you know, eight-year-old son. Because <laughs> she thought I was a grown man calling her eight-year-old son. <laughs>
2: uh that's awesome brooks i
1: was gonna ask you and and steve if i'm not sure steve how big you are into allison chains but the the not too long ago they had that awesome uh tribute concert uh from the museum of i believe it's the museum of pop culture in seattle did you see that the allison chains got like an award and they had a lot of cool performances on there
0: i think i just saw like a few performances i didn't see the whole thing um yeah, I, I I know that they do. I, I mean, I'm pretty sure they did a performance with Nancy Wilson, but they were like they were like Hearts Backing Band for a little bit essentially. Um, yeah, but I, I think they did a song with Nancy Wilson singing that I watched. Um, but it, it sounds familiar, but I didn't watch the whole whole shebang.
1: There there's some c- cool stuff on there. Yeah, they play a couple songs themselves. Um, Metallica's on there. Right they do wood and uh yeah there's I've, a, I've seen that some other artists out on there that really do a killer job
0: yeah yeah i, I saw the metallica cover of wood um yeah I, yeah the so like allison chains is like one of those like also like first bands with uh metallica the, yeah yeah you know, was was pretty excited i you know fell fell sort of out of it for a little while and then um Steve actually pointed out to me how good um, Black Over Blue is, and I hadn't mm. I hadn't really spent any time with it. So then I, I did catch a Phenomenal it. record. It's so good. Yeah. Um. So yeah, like, and it kind of like got me back into listening to them. Like their new stuff, like like what they're doing now too.
1: Yeah. The the that album's fantastic.
0: Yeah, it rules.
2: Yeah, it's like when we when we put out the Key of Solomon single, everyone was like. What's going on with the vocals? It's like yeah, it's their like... harmonies. <laughs> yeah. That's what that is. You ever hear
0: called vocal harmonies? Yeah, it's not a new thing.
1: <laughs> it,
0: is, yeah. it, it is a weird thing to like. Yeah, like that be a surprising thing about our band. It's like yeah, we're sometimes gonna do. I, and I, you know, we we were. That was that was one of those things that um I had I had sent a demo to. T T, who's uh, from Abigor, about this stuff, and we were going back and forth. I was just like looking for feedback while we were demoing out the album, and he was like sort of uh, surprised about the like, I guess, influence of like Allison Chains on, on Crip Sermon music. Yeah, but I think largely we just view ourselves as sort of a heavy metal band and looking to pull influences from anything.
1: Well, that's one of the things I loved about that album because I'm not somebody who particularly gravitates towards, quote, doom metal. Um, But I kept on seeing that album on, like, year-end list. And I was like, let me check out this band. Let me check out this album. And that was one of the big things that stood out to me was just the variety of of sounds on the record. And, you know, like, I could hear a Metallica influence. I could hear an Alice in Chains influence here or there. I could hear, you know, big uh Sabbath and Dio influence and it it, it just all kind of gelled together in something I thought was very unique and very well done.
2: Oh wow thanks. That's really cool. Um yeah uh variety I think I can speak for everyone. It was very important to all of us is having continuity but like having, you know, some variety in your sound so that it's not it's, it's and there's some dynamic and everything's not so samey, but not just um a total totally eclectic mess either um, yeah yeah no, I think that that's really that's really important because I mean you know I I like a lot of you know more extreme stuff and old thrash bands and, you know their albums you know you put them on they're 30 minutes long they, you're in and you're out There's not much to it but um with the, with the type of stuff we do um, we I think we just try to bring a little bit more color with a broader palette so to speak
1: yeah i mean i i love thrash metal i love death metal black metal and i i'm i can listen to an album that's just you know a half hour blast beat but the albums i'm going to keep on going back to and that the bands that i really gravitate towards the most are the bands that have their own sound but really push the boundaries of that sound whether in owls and chains is a great example metallica definitely does that you know like every metallica album, you know it's gonna sound like metallica but i also have no clue what it's going to sound like
0: right okay so can i bring that back to um uh hardwired then
1: yeah please do
0: okay so one of these things steve knows about this too because um they uh took what's that band baroness on tour in australia right um and then you know uh i hear a little bit of sort of barrenness influence on the chorus of uh what's it moth into the flame yeah and um i just thought that that was kind of a something that that caught me off guard and, and like it was exciting to, to hear some sort of what i what i felt like was pretty direct influence on and, and you know uh you lived in Savannah. No, a few of the guys who are in, or in, is in, and uh, were in Baroness. and it was so. There's a yeah. whole personal connection to being surprised by Metallica releasing a new album. I was like, you know, it was, yeah, it was exciting for me to to feel that that closely connected with a band that I've like looked up to for a long time. You know, cool to see them bringing in new influences.
1: Yeah, I know that James Hetfield has said he's a big fan of that band and the the vocalist. I he, his name's escaping me off the top of my head, but I know he's a fantastic artist. He's done yeah, you know their album covers, yeah. yeah, and he's done. Uh, they've they've licensed. Uh, they've you know hired him to do some Metallica posters and T-shirts since then and stuff. So yeah, and he has a fantastic art style.
0: Yeah, yeah, and the stuff he's done for them, he did this cool Four Horsemen maybe poster. Yeah. Shirt. It's a really cool image. He's done, yeah, he's done a bunch
1: for them. Yeah, great artist. Great artist. So I, I thought of a question when we are talking about Alice in Chains. I, I can only think of a few bands that have successfully switched vocalists. right? You have E C D C You can consider Van Halen going from David Lee Roth to Sammy Hagar, even though I know that divides some people. Uh, but... I- it, and then you have Owls and Chains, Iron Maiden.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Which did Owls and Chains do it best? What do you think?
2: Um, I, don't, I mean, best is that's a hard question. Uh, that's a yeah, very uh, open-ended I, question.
1: I, I
0: know, but
2: I, I can say I think that they did it very well. Um, I think, I think, yeah, I, I feel think that like,
0: uh, I, they did. It was so seamless. It was. He like what's it William Duvall. Yeah. Yeah. He both has his own character like to his voice and and yet manages to fill like lane staley's shoes so well you know he doesn't sound yeah. exactly like lane which rules it makes like when they we saw them a, a couple years ago when they do the old songs like they do a great job they open with Bleed the freak i think
2: mm-hmm. yeah i mean so i think that so william and Jerry Cantrell together sound a lot like old Alice in Chains, but William Duvall by himself is a completely different singer than Lane was. Yeah. And like I, I remember, yeah. someone was like, "I remember someone was like, he sounds just like Lane." I was like, "Fucking doesn't sound anything like him." Like, <laughs> not even yeah. A little it bit, Like, like we talked about? Yeah.
1: Well, I was also gonna yeah, say, he... I like. I wonder if they. Like, I like this. You cannot deny the huge impact that Jerry Cantrell has on that sound from the songwriting right. to the guitar to the vocals, even. So, yeah. like, he's I think that's maybe why it seems so seamless is that he's still that big presence in the band, but Principal songwriter, yeah. yeah. But I always find it interesting, you know, so many bands have tried, and in the history of like rock music, there's really only Top's like a handful that have really pulled it off really well, without needing to like you know go back to the old guy. <laughs> right. I feel like, like Iron
0: Maiden just was the band that like just like up and owned it. Like okay, two albums yeah new. here's a new singer, and also like we're as a band gonna step up our game quite a lot, which really yeah, which really they did on like Peace of Mind but, like, you know...
1: Yeah, but the, it's a big separation in sound when you go from the first two albums yeah. to Number of the Beast.
0: Right. They, I, they got a, a, quite a lot more, like, progressive, but then I think they began marrying the sort of catchiness with, like... Yeah. You know, they were a lot less raw than they were, you know, even yep. on the first two albums. You can't, like... But it was such a uh, like the whole band just stepped up their game entirely on number of the beast. That they yeah, kind of owned like having a new singer.
1: And I feel like on their recent albums, they've really dove into the progressive side of things. Where right. it's like, oh, we got another ten minute song. <laughs> <laughs> but they don't have shit all yeah. to do with their time. We may as well. Love them. <laughs> yeah, that's true.
2: <laughs> I tell you what, I really do love watching the bromance of Adrian Smith and Richie Cotton on social media. Oh, yeah. I just think it, 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 that's just like what a fucking, <laughs> what, what a, a, a cool of, pair of dudes. What a couple like, of, like, It's just like, you ate, YouTube? It's like, wow. <laughs> you guys are a like, friend of mine. We, used to, we were joking that like, Richie Cotton is like the real life version of. Was it Joe Cool or like the, the <laughs> fucking Dosakis guy or something? Oh, yeah. That guy, the guy was just amazing. <laughs> I um th- another friend told me like his because he grew up around here. He went to high school I think in like New Hope or something. But uh, oh, he's
0: one of my buddy, his band.
2: dad went. To, yeah, my, my buddy's dad went to high school with him, and he was just like, I mean, he was a. I mean, you can hear it on his rec- early shrapnel recordings. He was the genius, that he's just like, yeah, man, Richie was amazing high school he was a good looking guy he was like nobody could fuck with him on guitar he was always walking down the hall with like two chicks on his arms <laughs> so he was just like he's just like that's just like how he's always been apparently i don't know anyway yeah. brilliant guitar player and there's two brilliant guitar players and guys i just happen to think are really cool so i get kick out of watching a little romance on social media
1: <laughs> that's great so speaking of guitar and uh you know, obviously, Brooks, for you as a vocalist, I'm curious if you can name any sort of specific ways Metallica has influenced you guys in how you approach, whether it's your instrument or songwriting, whether it's, uh, you know, from tones or style or equipment or anything.
0: I, I think we'll, we'll uh, agree on songwriting. Uh, like, you know... Uh, They're such great songwriters, Um, as Steve and I both agree on. Like the idea of like every song, sort of having an oh shit moment. Like every song's got gotta be an A plus song. I feel like even like even now, like there was a period where I felt like they weren't trying to write every song be the banger, but like that is a thing I'd like that they tried to bring back. I, they've always felt very yeah. earnest in in trying to every song encapsulate a full, complete idea.
2: Yeah, what's funny because when you emailed us about this, um, I, I kind of went through my mental rolodex of like, huh, there's just like my favorite riffs, favorite parts, and um, I was actually listening to "Kill 'Em All" before I jumped on here. Uh, I was listening to "Phantom Lord," <laughs> and it, it's it's so funny because like. He starts a guitar solo, and, like, it's just, like, this very frenzied kind of energetic solo section, and then they, they drop down out of it with this, like, that harmonic, they, like, descend on the, down the scale, and then they're playing, then they play that clean part.
0: Yeah.
2: And that, that, it's, like, that clean part is, I always thought that was, like, the sickest fucking thing. And that really starts to show what they would eventually be capable of and then but uh, after that but after the clean part they build it up and then he plays another
1: guitar solo. <laughs> it's, just, it's, like, it's just like
2: wow this is really fucking over the top it's awesome
1: <laughs> I always thought Phantom Lord was like the skeleton of so many songs that followed you know like kind of laid the the groundwork and I'm as you are talking I was curious how much of that solo arrangement do you think was Kirk Hammett as opposed to Dave Mustaine who played such a heavy hand on that record
2: um, I mean I definitely Dave Mustaine I- I've watched old videos and you know you can hear him on the old demos of him playing a lot of those souls very similarly uh, yeah. so yeah I mean you gotta give credit where credit's due um, one good solo you know on that record that the Four Horsemen, uh, because in the original mechanics version, they didn't have that slow down like middle section. Yeah, uh, with the big long guitar soul. and that's that's a good. I think that's a really good Kirk moment. It's um, it's very melodic, kind of kind of has a little bit of a Michael Shanker vibe to it a little bit. That's a really good section. But yeah, I mean, no, no, getting around that David Stane did have a lot to do with that record, but I mean. He didn't write it all.
1: <laughs> so I was gonna ask you guys: Have you ever looked at the lyrics for the Mechanics? Because I think that might be the best change that Metallica has ever made to a song.
2: Horny yeah. <laughs> gas station attendant, right? Oh my god! Yeah. Oh, yeah. oh
1: yeah, and it's, it's bad. and the innuendo is I'm, I, uh, you know, if you're yeah, so. if you've ever if you wrote. Lyrics for the first time as like a 13-year-old horny boy that's <laughs> basically what you are uh, experiencing.
0: I have a question. Do you think that they expected chicks would listen to it? <laughs>
1: Dave?
0: <laughs> Dave was I don't know him personally, him. <laughs> but what I know of him and what I've read, absolutely.
1: <laughs> well, I mean... Just to give you – I mean, I won't go through line by line, but just to give a little, uh, you know, preview. Imagine you were at my station and you brought your motor to me. You're a burner, yeah, a real motor car. Said so you want to get your order filled? Made me shiver when I put it in. <laughs> Pumping just won't do, you know, luckily for you. And then the chorus, which it's so fun because I – when I read this chorus, I just hear the four horsemen in my head. <laughs> but it's whoever thought you'd be better at turning a screw than me. I do it for my life. May my drive shaft crank. May my pistons bulge. May my ball bearing melt from the heat. Oh yeah, yeah.
2: I do remember the pistons bulging line very clearly now. <laughs> <laughs>
1: You know what though? If there's one person who can pull that lyric off, I think it might be. Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, here's the thing about here's the thing
2: about David Mustaine. Like, think about this: Dave Mustaine got kicked out of fucking Metallica. <laughs> he just ran, yeah. Like ever, and um, for for him to write what he wrote, like for for Megaf and um, to do. All the drugs he did, chaotic yeah. band as they were, but to run that tide of a ship and be as, as full yeah. as they are is absolutely blows my mind. Like, I can't believe, I mean, that's like borderline sociopathic, like to be able to do what he does. Like, it's <laughs> unreal that he has gotten to where he is.
0: Just his cohort of like co guitarists in that yeah. band is incredible like the yeah, yeah. guitarist alone like yeah the, I, I don't think you'll hear any like megadeth shit talking between the two of us oh
1: um, yeah you no know, i I, I i uh well i i love megadeth i i like to you know i i i poke the bear sometimes just because he's an easy target it, it, but and i and i do a, i do a pretty good mustaine impression if i do say <laughs> so myself
0: is going to be
1: like- <laughs> but um you know I, I i have a very uh uh I, i'm a huge megadeth fan so i'm rooting them on for their next album i want a really good megadeth record in the 2000s here but um it, it to your point i i recently read uh, i sometimes write for uh metal and i i recently read uh and did a review for his, the Rust and Peace book that Mustaine put together, mm-hmm. and there's so many stories in it. It's all like firsthand accounts. Like it's not like a written book. It's basically like all quotes. I read like most of it. I it. have it actually. Yeah, there's so much great, like, and crazy drug stories uh, of of him and Ellison. It's unbelievable. And it's like, how do they even make that album? It is a miracle. I know. But also too, it messes with my brain because like Mustaine's somebody I can you know, he has like that hard edge persona. I, I can picture him drinking and doing hard drugs and sleeping with all these women. Like he's a mega rock star. Yeah. David Ellison is it just seems like the nicest guy, like family man, and it's just hard for me to picture him doing, like, speedballs and, like, oh, yeah. all this crazy shit. Well, I mean, he he's, he's from? He's from, like,
2: Minnesota, I think, right? Like, yeah.
1: I think it's how he talks. It's that accent, you know, that Midwestern accent Ooh. that just... is like, oh, sure. I, I, I won't try to do it. Yeah. You never tried that.
2: That's a... I don't know I do
1: <laughs> there, There's an element of Fargo. Yeah, there, absolutely. You, know? you, know.
0: This, you can call this a speedball? ball?
1: <laughs> oh I, i've never done one
2: i'll try it <laughs> this is crazy nice. really can nice. you get more of that <laughs> yeah no it's babe Astaine, I, I think like it's just love him or hate him is just a phenomenal human at just like being able to do what he's done yeah. um
1: i mean and I would argue him getting kicked out of the band was the best thing just because now we have two awesome bands. And the best fucking thing to you know, happen it,
0: to Dave Mustaine was getting kicked out of Metallica. I mean, Dave Mustaine made, yeah. he never got his big. He's going to play second fiddle to fucking James. So, you know, that's right. If yeah. he, it, you know, he was never going to be the lead singer in Metallica. Or, you know what I mean?
1: If it didn't happen then. It was gonna happen down the road, like those. Yeah, I feel like yeah. you can't have, you can only have too many, you can only have so many alphas in one group, you know. Yeah,
2: and and they've mentioned that. I mean, I mean, can we be real here? Like, Kirk is not an alpha. <laughs> no, especially when you watch them, they're the exact. He's exactly what they needed, but yeah. I mean, that the thing is, like, with, why doesn't he get over it? And just, I don't know from his perspective. And like I said, he got kicked out. Of- Metallica. And with when somebody who's gotten as far as he has clearly has an ungodly amount of drive. It's it's like he yeah. wants to be number one. Like it's got it's just gotta eat at him. But I mean either way, Megadeth scratches a totally different itch than Metallica does. It's not it's not the same band at all. Yeah. So yeah, but you're you're right though. Like we we have Megadeth and a world without Megadeth, you
1: know be pretty shitty so so i'm i i know i told you guys i would love to hear about some of your favorites i know you guys have sort of hinted at a couple of things already, but i'm just sort of going to throw some things out that you guys can fire back favorite metallica i'll start with i think with what i think is going to be an easier one um we'll see but uh favorite metallica album <sighs> depends on the day <laughs> uh, i mean i think
2: I think cohesively, like, Master of Puppets is just the most brilliant album ever. Like, it's just the way it, it starts and finishes and flows together. Um, but, um, you know, some days, you know, some days Ride to Lightning, it's like the, they were getting a little more ambitious. Ride to Lightning has a really cool, there's something about the way that record sounds. It's got a really cool ambience to it. Um, it also sounds like the album cover looks, which is just, yeah, it, I totally it's do. like, yeah. and uh, you know some, some days though too. It's uh, I like just cranking up Kill 'Em All, and it's it's fun having a couple drinks yeah. and banging along to Kill 'Em All. But I mean, I love Justice too, and like I, I do like Black Album, uh, but if if I had to pick, I guess I'm um, I'll just say Puppets. On my end,
0: yeah. Uh, I think you know it's a category thing for me. I like uh, picking my favorite is different than picking the one I listen to the most. But I listen mm. to um, I listen to Kill 'em All the most. Uh, mm. I think my favorite to li- like my favorite experience of listening to their albums is uh, is Ride the Lightning. And I think categorically, their best album is. It's Puppets. Yeah. Uh, like that, they did, I, I mean, just about everything that I want to hear from Metallica, they did on Puppets. Um, yeah. and, and it's just like an A++ album, you
1: know? I always say, if you play somebody the song Master Puppets, in that eight minutes, you kind of hear everything that Metallica does really well as a band.
2: You know, i have heard so many people, well, I don't want to say so many, but I've heard more than one person say this, like, man, it'd be cool. Like, the thing that should not be wasn't on that record. Oh, my God. fucking out of your mind. My very favorite song,
0: (laughs) Leopard Messiah. People complain about Leopard Messiah, and, like, I, okay, Leopard Messiah might not be the best song on the album, but it's legitimately, like, I would miss that song. I love Leopard Messiah.
2: Yeah. From a song arrangement perspective, Disposable Heroes is always a song that comes to mind Yeah. when I'm thinking about songwriting. Um, yeah, totally. That whole record is is just unbelievable from start to finish. It's just it. It sounds like they started and then like they started at battery and then literally wrote it all in that order.
0: Yeah, yeah. Ryan comes at such a perfect point on the album.
2: Yeah, it, it doesn't. It doesn't sound like those songs like they just kind of decided their placing. It sounds like they wrote it all in order because it, cause it just flows
1: and works so well together. I. See think that the thing that should not be is you know they they didn't do anything that reinvented the wheel in that song but it was just so outside the usual metallica norm while was still sounding perfectly like metallica like how it's down tunes the guitar solo it just has this really eerie atmosphere like it it matches the lyrics oh God, the music matches yeah. the lyrics just like Perfectly. Yeah,
2: his vocals are really have such a cool bite in that song, too. Uh,
1: yeah. I remember, listen, I have a really
2: fond memory of listening to that album with a friend uh in the car when we were really young teenagers, and that song came on. He looked at me and said something to the degree of, he was like, You know what's sick? He was like, riff is so fucking heavy that he doesn't even have to sit, like, it has to stop, and he just sings over nothing.
1: <laughs> <laughs> i was just like you know what i never thought of it that way <laughs> that's hilarious bruiser of a tune
0: it's that's that that tune itself is such a big part of you know the it, it's like battery then what is uh what's after battery oh shit
1: master Ma- oh, sorry
0: battery master and then uh and then the thing that should not be, because Master the yeah. Song is such a big part of that mm. that side of that record, and then then like uh, the thing that should not be is so incredibly heavy that it, it's sort of a counterbalance to how yeah. to all the space that they would explore on Master of Puppets, you know? you know, and and a real departure from what you're used to hearing metal, you know, two albums in. You're, you're sick hearing yeah. yeah.
1: them do on an album. I think, even though in twenty twenty one that that song still stands out as pretty unique in their catalog. Like they definitely would do like sludgier stuff, um, even like a sad but true. Yeah. You know, how kind of has that slower crunch and stuff. But there's something about uh, the thing that should not beat to me that just really stands out as more. It's unique. their most
2: evil song. Um, yeah. obviously. Their heavy songs are a lot more, like, just aggressive. That song is, is just a lot more... It's really dark for a Metallica song. So, yeah. um,
1: I was going to ask you guys, do you think that's as doom metal as Metallica has gotten? So, here's song? the
0: weird thing. So, like, Steve, you pointed out... There's still, like, this thread that they carry through from that song to... to, um... Inter Sandman. I mean, there, you know, there's still... Yeah. chorused out like clean guitars there's you know the toms going on like the clean guitar they, yeah, yeah, and they yeah. and they do that that even up to what they uh have on hardware not is it not man unkind maybe that has something it? there's a song on it.
1: yeah man unkind is like sort of a little uh sabbathy dream no more is sort of like uh that vein I too like more like Sabbath yeah. true feel
2: um, yeah i mean, i got i got hung up on the doom metal thing and i thought i think that the verse riff uh to forever i'm a room is probably the doomiest they ever got
0: yeah i hear
1: what you mean yeah uh big
0: open chords very big yeah yeah huge sad lyrics yeah. yeah
1: huh i that that's a that's a really good call i would not have thought of that one yeah Favorite song, mm, yeah. just has a full package. Is that even possible? Mm, like impossible. <laughs> <laughs> they all do different things, which is right. what makes them so great. They're all you.
0: Let's, let's take. Let,
1: Can let, you give me a, like a top no, no, three? Take,
0: uh, Brandon's, Brandon's, pitch. oh, Ryan, like the, the song. If you're like, here's what Metallica sounds like, and you're gonna show a friend, what song are you gonna show? Mm.
2: You know, I remember we discussed this. I don't know. Um, I know you have an answer for this. Was it Creeping Death? Which one was it? For me? Oh, are you asking me or
0: well, for for
1: me? <laughs> He's for asking me, you. Creeping Death. Good yeah, Creeping Death is a good start. Um, <laughs> I don't
0: know. Creeping Death or Fade to Black for me,
2: but... Yeah, Fade to Black definitely um as far as guitar solos, Fade to Black is... Oh,
0: man, just, um, I mean, just, that, like, that's such a standout moment, you know, yeah. hearing, you know, hearing Fade to Black, the guitar solo in Fade to Black, the sort of Sabbath riffs that precedes such a big yeah. action on that song.
2: Yeah, um, and one of the parts I, I never recognized, I guess, I, I mean, I maybe subconsciously recognized it as a kid, but one of the cool parts of that song is the... Uh, harmony it's right at the end the uh out- mm-hmm. our solo riff and it's yeah. just like the cherry on top of it. you know it's just yeah. so dramatic um i tell you what song i would put in my top three video ryan
1: good call yeah
2: uh, start, i'll leave that there as far as the others it's just forever changing ryan typically always stays up there
1: has Metallica ever All right, so to I'll spring off a similar question, right? Has Metallica ever done anything more atmospheric than Orion? Like that whole middle section with the bass solo and the how it builds and swells back up.
2: No. Um not quite like that. Not quite as dreamy or spacey. Yeah. I mean that song is a force. I remember Listen to that song on repeat when I like lay in bed as a kid. You know, it's just like, and that's that's another thing too. um, Is that you can listen to contemporary music and rock bands and metal bands. They all have singers, but when a band, especially like when you're younger, like you can connect with people through instrumentals and not feel like it's you know, oh, I'm gonna skip this. Like it's just a bunch of songs. No. vocals you know like um yeah o'rion that and thinking back on that like like that and call of the and like to live is to the die they all have like really profound impact on me and it's just like i can listen to songs without any vocals and be completely 100 percent lost in it
1: yeah it it amazes me too like when you listen to i mean so many other early stuff but when you listen to like the cog Tulu, like for them to be able to compose and arrange that when they were like 18, 19, like Mustaine was still in the band, you know, he co-wrote that song. So it's like, that was like the very early stages.
2: Yeah. It's, I mean, I don't want to, I really don't want to derail it because we could get back to talking about the cool stuff, but you mentioned their age and it just reminded me of, you know, when some kind of monster came out, and, and everyone's making fun of them because so they're all fighting. And you know, I guess yeah. they, just like it's it, to you, like to an outsider, it just seems all so fucking absurd. You're just like, why, why are they acting like that? But then when you think about it, like, they never grew up. They they became a yeah. band when they were teenagers and grew up and be, became the biggest band in the world. You like, they never really grew up or probably like got comfortable in their own I mean I don't know their own skin probably didn't really learn the healthiest ways of communication. Mm-hmm. Fucking imagine going through they that. work at
1: grocery stores. Yeah. <laughs> in fact in fact they I don't know, know where... about customer service. Yeah. <laughs>
2: in fact I remember James I read some interview with James talking about I forget what they were recording, but they would be up getting Hammered all night and then walking out into the middle of the street, and D- James would like dive onto the windshield of cars and pound on the window. I'm like, You gotta go to work. Just <laughs> never, never live like a normal life. Yeah. So, aside from the paper factory you worked at, but <laughs> other than that.
1: Yeah. And, and it's not like, you know, you've heard so many stories too. I think it sounds, it seems pretty much like, uh, we're just looking at that early lineup, like Cliff and Lars had sort of normal upbringings, maybe not normal, but you know, like positive upbringings. Whereas yeah. you know James had a very yeah. negative childhood with you know his father leaving, oh, yeah. parent, uh, mother dying young, and just sort of all these things that lead to all these songs. But like he never really had uh, a normal life even as a child. And then when you're yeah. like you said, he's you know 17 18 in this band and that's all he knew for the next 40 years (laughs) like and again
2: was in literally the biggest band like ever yeah yeah like that's not there's nothing normal about that at all yeah i can't even imagine like trying to unravel and untangle all that
0: that's, that's I, I mean, it, it's such a different life, you know, in a weird way, like, Metallica got started in a somewhat contemporary thing that I'm familiar with, which is, like, playing small clubs is probably, like, shit, man, they were playing bigger stages than we were playing when we were in some, like, punk band millions of years back. Yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, they were playing bigger venues than that when they started up. Yeah. They've to just continue being very successful at their career. And, you know, it's not like these guys are going to exactly understand appropriate, like, interaction.
1: interaction. Yeah, yeah. They don't understand. Yeah, like, yeah. They're fucking kids. Like, they
2: never yeah. had to like, grow up, really. Yeah, it's, it's crazy.
1: And also too, like to tie into your point, Brooke, well, they just have, like they just kind of kept on going. Like they've never, they've never decreased in popularity. Like no, even no. like their their career low point is arguably Saint Anger, which sold millions of albums around the world, won a Grammy award. They played stadiums to support that album. Like that's like their career low point. Like that was considered their flop commercially. Right, yeah.
0: So this this is uh, I I think circles back to a, a point that uh, I I think you made the point that I was trying to make but I don't think I succeeded earlier when I was saying that um that they've been under a microscope because they've remained somewhat relevant you know yeah in the late nineties or a little after uh, load and reload they got in, involved in in the uh, Napster litigation. And also uh, around the same time, which this is a super annoying thing about Metallica is like they did the thing with um, Victoria's Secret makeup, and really like Victoria's <laughs> yeah. Secret makeup like named a makeup Metallica. I know this because my wife told me.
1: I remember yeah. when that happened. Yeah, yeah, I remember
0: and, that. And it's really their legal team but like, you know, the makeup company. I don't know if it was Victoria's Secret actually. I'm, make, I'm making that. part. I
1: think it. it was, yeah. if memory serves it's me some, correct.
0: Some something about makeup, but, and I, if he, that was what I was talking about with like the overzealous legal team. On the other hand, like I think that that's like staking a claim in cultural relevance. Like, even, mm-hmm. even though I think that that's a pretty annoying thing, like, I Lars was largely right saying or making public predictions about what would happen. Prince made the same, you know, statements. You know. Lars was a lot
1: more annoying about it, though. Because <laughs> <laughs> well, I remember Dr. Dre was saying the same stuff, too. But they were all yeah. kind of, like, saying it back here. And Lars was in everybody's face saying it, you know?
0: It's not like, yeah, if Prince says anything, he's going to come off a lot fucking cooler. (laughs) But, like... You know, also, yeah, uh, Lars was like the one who wanted to jump in front of the microphone. Yeah. Like, everyone, look at me. And like, no, we want to look at Prince, but like, no, <laughs> you got
1: to the You're stuck with there. this little Danish drummer instead. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah
2: he's a talker, that Lars.
1: Yeah. And,
0: you know, and, and good on him because he parlayed that, though. Like, you know, into, yeah. you know keeping his band relevant at the time. And then the, the shit with the, like, the shit with the documentary was not cool. <laughs> like, that, that is one thing is like the whole of documenting their band getting a band therapist is like, I watched it. I've watched it like a million times.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's a cautionary tale. It
0: is. For... It, it literally is.
2: <laughs> oh, I mean, I still say that riff sounds stock. Yeah. <laughs> hey, I still say it all the time. It sounds, it sounds, sounds stock.
1: There is <laughs> a. Um... There is a T-shirt you can get online of uh, Lars Ulrich's father Torben Ulrich, and it says oh, delete, "Delete that." that? <laughs> I forgot about that. I would say
2: "Delete that." <laughs> like kind of blank. Didn't even. That
0: yeah, was amazing. And the thing was, I laughed about this because I don't know if you and I have ever watched it together, Steve. I feel like we might have, but mm. I, we—I definitely own it, so you know, <laughs> oh, you do. know. But, um but like i remember the song that he's talking about is this like more just like ambient like lots of vocal harmonies it's actually yeah. pretty cool I've, I've liked the scene what
1: they did with it <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> i remember reading it was like uh what's that group uh sugar rose am i pronouncing it correctly mm-hmm. and they uh it was like they saw them in concert and then went and like did that weird amb- like ambient vocal thing. And that was gonna be like the intro to the album. But yeah, I agree with you. There's part of it that's like I wanna hear it, you know? I I mean we we did get uh their collaboration with Lou Reed, Lulu, which it was pretty um experimental, I guess you could say.
0: Yeah, that's very... (laughs) You're right. It's a very diplomatic term. It's it's ambitious, also. It is ambitious.
2: I don't mean to backtrack. I didn't know that that, about that Segaros bit. That's interesting. I
0: think it's in the
2: movie.
1: Yeah. I don't remember if it's in the movie or if I read it somewhere, uh, but it's...
0: I have created it as... as (laughs) I, I...
1: it stands. It's in the movie. Brooks says it's true.
0: <laughs> I corroborate your information because I have also heard that before. Whether or not it's in the movie.
1: Interesting. That's yeah. cool. I was going to ask, do you have... All right, we talked about Favorite album, Favorite Song. If we narrow it down even more, do you have a favorite riff? Ooh.
2: I don't know what's the hardest of one of those questions. Like, yeah. which one? I mean, the riff one, we think about the riffs, and, like, they're all so... Is... Steve. Yeah.
0: The, the, the riff, the thing that should not be riff is, like, the riff that always is the Metallica riff in my brain. It's, like, the riff that plays when I think of Metallica. Yeah. I... It, It is just sort of like the thing, Metallica is like, is synthesized with the term, like heavy metal for me, so it is just like, sort of like sparking, like totally just like blasting, compressed, chugging guitars. Um,
2: Yeah, there's a, like Blackened has a ton of just Mm. insane riffs. Every time I think of a song, it's not just like, I remember every riff in the song, like, oh, fuck. (laughs) Like, it's never just, like, one of them. It's always, like, there's always just so much going on in the song. Like, Blackened is is a great example of peak Metallica riffing. Um, I'm trying to think of some others. I I always thought, you know, the, the break in the middle of Damage Inc. was fucking awesome. Um, there's, I mean, there's, yeah, it just goes on and on and on and on. Uh, I also really like you're going on about blackened though too. Is that, that a lot of their harmonies and like they're more like pretty like big parts like the uh, harmonies in this the interlude to the solo in blackened is good. But um, I'll tell you what, the whole middle section of uh to live is to die. Uh, the clean mm, yeah the classical section the, like the arpeggios i actually kind of uh ripped a bit of that off like kind of sort of ripped a bit of that off in uh christ is dead uh, that's just what about. sort of idea yeah um, and i'm gonna rip it off again
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, uh, I, I i think this was this was something you brought up steve in talking about this is like that like there's a real internal consistency to to Metallica songwriting, which I really appreciate is that, you know, a Metallica song operates like musically within the same framework as every other Metallica song. Like their, their musicality exists fairly in a pretty insular language. the, The way that they incorporate new influences is Always refreshing and always like, still feels authentically them. Like it, you know. So I bring this up, like for example, the um, their cover of uh, "Whiskey in the Jar" is such a sort of weird departure for them to be playing like that song, and yet it still sounds like a Metallica song.
2: Mm. Yeah, I mean, people have said. I've heard people say the Metallica is the best cover band ever. <laughs>
0: yeah.
2: um, I mean, there's some, I mean, some of that might not be true, but I mean, it's just face it. Like a lot of those, like a lot of like those diamond head songs, like, you know, as much, I, I, I think lightning donations is probably my favorite British heavy metal record. Um, Hands down. But the thing about it is like, all the Metallica deniers and stuff like that, it's just like, yeah, buddy, Like, still probably wouldn't know any of this if you weren't listening to those Metallica records. You wouldn't have thought to check oh, it out. Yeah.
1: Without a doubt. I mean, I think Diamond Head and so many other bands from the new wave of British heavy metal owe their oh. whole career and or legacy to Metallica covering their song. Like, Lighting to the Nations is a great album. Metallica covered awesome. half that album. And I think that's part of the reason, I think that's a huge reason why all these years later that albums remember so fondly is because people would go back and I know I was one of them like I heard Am I Evil, I wanted to go and hear the original. I heard uh, Helpless, same thing, you know, and The Prince and, 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 and with other bands too like I discovered The Misfits through Metallica. I heard Last Crest, I was like I want to go hear the original. You know, now I consider myself a really big, you know, Misfits fan but like all my the Metallica was my entry point for all those groups.
2: Yeah, I mean, I remember going to the store because I remember getting like a Metallica biography or something when I was a kid. My parents got it for me, and I, I read it. And they were talking about all those bands. So I mean, I remember going shopping for CDs, looking for like Venom albums and like Angel Witch, just anything that like they mentioned in the book. Like I was just like, oh yeah, all these CDs and all these bands. I obviously became to love those bands a little bit later um but yeah no it's, it's the thing like uh, you can't deny like I think that a lot of people probably would pretend they didn't get into that stuff through Metallic, but they totally did <laughs>
1: yeah well you know what's interesting is last year Diamondhead Head re-recorded Lightning to the Nations and if you listen to it I and I'm not usually a big fan of Bands that uh, re-record past work. I think you know some bands have done it well. Some have kind of done it as a quick cash grab or what have you. But I thought this was pretty. I thought it was pretty solid. But what's interesting is that they it, they kind of Metallica eyes like their own songs. And uh, when you listen to "It's Electric," they even play it in the same key that Metallica plays it on Garage Inc. Um, and, and they kind of follow their their arrangement of it, and to, to a really cool full circle moment is that they cover No Remorse, so it just kind of like is this weird full circle thing for Metallica.
0: I haven't yep. heard. Uh, I have heard the No Remorse cover, but I I haven't heard the, and I um have heard the. Is it Aunt, I can't remember if it's Helpless or am i evil but i remember i guess it's probably helpless that i remember hearing it and being like well they're playing like the metallica version of it yeah and and i thought that was so i didn't realize though that that was like there's a full like uh re-release of all their material
2: i don't know if this is entirely true um but there don't say so, don't quote me on this, but I'm sure there's he, he did say it, and so there's some sort of element of truth to this. Where I think Brian Tatler from Diamond Head might, like, he might even live off of the royalties he makes off of the Metallica covers of his songs, which is fucking nuts. Yeah, but he, you know, I know, he's made good money from like the royalties from Metallica covering
0: his songs. I mean, if he gets credited for it, good for him.
1: Yeah, similar to that. I want to say, I want to say it was Glenn Danzig, who obviously has had a very successful career and fairly lucrative. You know, how many times have you seen the Crimson Skull all over everything? But I feel like, I feel like I read in an interview he did that like Metallica covering songs bought him like a new house or something like that. I could be misquoting. So, but it was somebody. I I want to say it was Danzig, which uh. Danzig's another one that I, you know, hold dear to my heart even though oh, <laughs> the, the the easy jokes are there. <laughs> oh man, he's a he's an
2: eccentric man. I I used to yeah. I'm mean, going to this. I used to just be like, ah, I don't know, I'm get, get the big fuss out of the guy. Now I just think he's kind of funny. Like <laughs> like he's an amusing dude. And his interviews are hilarious. Like he's yeah. just ridiculous shit. He's just like So,
0: he's a bracing
1: shooter. One of my favorite concert moments, I was in college and uh, my buddy and I saw Danzig at a little club in Boston. And uh, we were debating whether to go or not. And then he announced that a half hour of the set, he was going to play all Misfit songs with Doyle. So we were like, all right, we're going. So we went and, you know, the beginning of the set, Danzig's playing his soul stuff, and we're, me and my buddy are just sort of like standing there, bobbing our heads. You know, like I, I, I. The first four Danzig albums, I actually have a really soft spot in. Like they were played a big part of my childhood, but like the kind of after that, I'm just sort of like I don't really know this song, I'm kind of just bobbing my head. So Danzig, you know, was like giving it his all. He's down the front of the stage. Everybody in front of us is like you know, devil horns and singing every word. Danzig looks over at me and my friend and we're both just standing there. He looks at my friend and just goes, sticks up the middle finger, walks away and I was like,
2: dude, Danzig just fucked you off.
1: (laughs) That's amazing.
2: I'm I'm so happy you mentioned this because I will look for literally any excuse to tell the story. (laughs) And I wasn't even there. I wasn't even here. So, like, this is just by hearsay from somebody else. But when I heard this story, I was crying for like 20 minutes in laughter because I just, I just, it's just so absurd to me. It was one of their, apparently, my friend's buddy went to one of the, like, the first, if not the first Misfits shows where they're playing in, like, an arena. The Misfits in yeah. an arena, crazy. Like, people were waiting 20 years for this, like, 30s, so, like, 30 yeah. something. Yeah. they're they're in the middle of the set they're playing this stadium and like danzig apparently after like the first few songs just looks around and just yells him like can somebody turn on the fucking pumpkins <laughs> and all the pumpkins start to light up around the arena like the arena <laughs> but i just like um just the visual of that and the fact
0: that he was <laughs> Like, did that You're just? Steve at any point of the hundreds of times that you've told this story have you ever considered that at a certain point Danzig's like told the stage crew like at some point I'm probably going to yell about turning on the pumpkins leave them off until I yell about them I...
1: No, I just... either way that story's gold though no matter which one it is I... I just like to
2: believe that he's just that mad all the time. <laughs> yeah, all right.
1: my, my favorite thing in the world is honestly uh, like pictures of Danzig doing normal human things. Like the picture of him that was online of him buying like kitty litter. Yeah. Or there was one at Christmas time and he was like at his girlfriend's house. She took the picture and posted it like on her Instagram. And it was, like, him barefoot wrapping Christmas presents. And I'm just like, this is, like, so adorable and amazing. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you, Glenn Danzig. What
2: was, the, what was the one story about him? He, like, bought a house. And, like, people kind of caught on to, like, yeah. what So instead of selling the house, he just abandoned it. He just left it. And there was, like, a bunch of bricks in the yard or something. <laughs> so, like, the, the neighbors filed a complaint. And like if he had to take care of it, like leave. So he showed up with a pickup truck at like three o'clock in the morning and picked him up by the brick and was just like whipping him into the back of the like the, the truck, screaming, like, you want me to come up, and pick the fucking bricks up? Just like, losing his mind. like, just a psycho. So,
1: <laughs> so I have heard that story, but have you seen? Um, there were pictures online. He listed that house. Have you seen the house? It's, like, the black one, right? It's, like, a... Yes. So, it's, like, it's... Picture, like, the character Danzig that we know, like, that he portrays in the media and we see, like, through music. Picture, like, the haunted house he would live in, and that's this. Except it's, like, a, you know, it's, like, a small, like, haunted-looking house with, like... And it's, a like, an L.A. neighborhood that's, like, nice, you know? So, like, every house looks very L.A. and very, like, clean-cut. And then it's just Danzig's house, And there, he put it on the market, I guess, and there were, or maybe it was after he left and somebody, you know, scooped, you know, whatever the situation was, it was for sale. So there were pictures of the inside of the house online. And it is like, I don't know if he, this is how he left it or this is how he lived, but it's hilarious. So there's like, one, it's like a filthy, it's filthy inside. There's a a bed, like the bedroom the bedroom is just a mattress and had like uh, I want to say like a I want to say like a video game system, and then like some action figures just like on the floor. <laughs> and then the kitchen had like you open up the cabinets and they're empty except for a box of count chocula. <laughs> <laughs> That's brilliant. It's like it's like yeah. just everything you would want Danzig's house to be.
2: Yeah, it's it's kinda like like the Klopex house from the Burbs or something.
1: Ever... <laughs> That's now, great. I think
0: really what it is 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 he's he's actually just some landlord to some shitty guy. <laughs> and they're just like, You know who we're fucking renting an apartment from? We're renting an apartment from Danzig. <laughs>
2: I'll be back in and one okay. second.
0: And what he lit, and what Danzig probably lives in, is just some like shitty like penthouse cloth that looks like everything <laughs> else, but it's clean because. I would
1: pay a lot of money to live in a clean house. Yeah. It's, he's become a little oh. bit of uh, an obsession for me and one of my best friends. We just like, every time there's a new Danzig picture or story, we text it to each other. And we're like, did you see what Danzig did today? Uh, I, <laughs> but I, I say that there. as a massive fan. Like, I love The Misfits. The yeah. first four, like Danzig albums, like, I have a soft spot for, you know, it's like, but it's just, I, I, my love for him is transformed into like like the guy like he like as Steve said he seems angry so it's just like I just like I just like to see like the lighter side of Glenn Danzig yeah. when it leaks out there. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: Danzig is just like us really.
1: <laughs> he puts both shoes on and You know, goes to the grocery store, buys kitty litter.
0: (laughs) Wears his fish nut shirt to the grocery store? You know, just like you and
1: me. (laughs) But have you ever seen um the Danzig video of his book collection?
0: Oh yeah, of course. It
1: is that is like to me like a top five best like video music moment ever. When he starts talking about like uh he goes in specific books. And he goes, this one's about werewolf stories. All documented, all true. It just keeps all, like moving along. You're like, wait, 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 what? <laughs> I, do
0: you have a book to corroborate the claims? And this book because... Yeah, it's like I love the idea, like in that video that Aunt Danzig is here like presenting you with new information. <laughs>
1: like Danzig, popular
0: popularizer of like, you know, natural lycanthropy. You know, pre existing, like this is all documented. Yeah. I bet you didn't know that he really keeps the heads of little girls on
1: the
2: wall. <laughs> I've I've obviously never met Danzig personally, but it's funny. Uh talk about Two different kinds of personalities in a band, though. I, I mean, I met Jerry only twice when I was like a really young kid at the Jerry Fitch shows. Nicest guy on the planet, sweetheart. Just like yeah. to everyone, like gave everyone time. Just funny, like. You no, know. Danzig's a ridiculous dude,
0: though. Yeah, it, I love I love a good Danzig story.
1: Yeah, I was just saying to Brooks That's when you stuffed one. away. <laughs>
0: Because if he listens to this podcast, which I'm sure he does, you
1: know, of course, I, I I always picture him as more of like a uh, an Oprah like a Soul Sunday type guy, but you know he might listen to Metallicast.
0: Hey, he listens to Metallicast, and we can't talk any smack because he can do a guest vocal on any Crip Sermon song he wants.
1: <laughs> and, and if you're listening, not only do you have an open invitation to the next Crip Sermon album, but please come on my podcast and we'll, uh, you know, we we will promote the guest appearance for sure. As well as whatever, you know, Elvis Presley covers album you're working on or whatever. (laughs) And if I said anything that ruffled your feathers is,
2: or was flat out not true, I do apologize. We love you.
1: Yeah, he's he's. He's just. I could literally talk for the next two hours about Glenn Danzig, so I'm gonna move on. (laughs) Danzig cast. It's we've transformed here. Um, So I'll we'll end with uh, this question, I guess. Uh, If you could hear Glenn Danzig sing any Metallica song, I'm just kidding. (laughs) But let's go with that. (laughs) Uh, What? As a fan of Metallica, what would you hope to hear on from them on the next album? Mm,
0: that's good. <laughs> you know, I I guess like be, because I haven't kept up with. Uh, I think Steve's seen them more recently than I. I, actually,
2: I, I saw them I, a half a time.
0: Right. Right. True uh but i I, so i think i brought up like what a what a cool thing i thought it was that that i could i felt like i could hear a little baroness influence on on a a song and maybe that was just my imagination or in the harmonies or maybe baroness has always been influenced by uh, obviously influenced alica in that way but like um i'm interested to see what like kind of new Things that they might pull in to their songwriting moving forward.
2: I'll answer that question, but I just kept lamenting the the time I half saw Metallica. At least I yeah. got to see them, at least I got to see them play Harvester of Sorrow before I lost my mind, uh, <laughs> literally. Uh, but um, um, honestly, as far as a question, I think kind of just more of what they I had mentioned earlier, uh, doing like. Kind of going back and finding, I think, what makes them great and, and them at their best is sort of taking their very clever and ambish, ambitious song arrangements from their um, you know, their first four records, or even five records. You know, Black Album had a little bit of that. It was a little more street. Yeah. Um, and yeah, just sort of gelling it all together it's, I mean, they're never gonna, it, they're never gonna make, you know, Ride lightning again, and, I don't, like, we know that, some people haven't figured that out yet, but, uh, mm-hmm. but also, you know, thinking about Metallica, <clears throat> and I won't rant too long about this, because is Metallica's always a band that's taking risks, that so they're all, they've always done something new within their time period, like, to us, like, I mean, when you listen to Master of Puppets compared to all the other albums that came out in 1986, it's fucking, like, alien. Like, no bands had that amount of, like, ambition and dynamics in their sound. Um, And I think people fail to remember that, because I guess, I think, yeah, it was Ride the Lightning Draft, Fade to Black was on the record, and everyone was, like, all pissed. Uh, But they've always been a band who's always, like...
0: Well, they did a soft song. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. They've,
2: they've always been a band who's going to like, okay, people think we're going to go here. We're going to go here. And it hasn't always worked, but you know, that's the, that's what risk taking is like sometimes it, it works. And sometimes you land, land on your face, but I mean, it's like you said, they're, they're still here and they're, they're low point. They were still selling at arenas. So, I mean, yeah.
1: and I think that's part of the reason too, why you have, you know, a 40 year career is that, they did take those risks and you know they paid off in some capacity they you know they connected with some group of person even if they didn't connect with everybody and you know very few bands uh can have a 40-year career and not change you know like you have i i guess maybe an acdc maybe you can make an argument of slayer um that kind of did a lot of the similar stuff but you know, the the bands that have had a 40-year successful career are, uh, well, few and far between anyways, but most of them have done a variety of things. Or at least, like you said, even if it failed, went off and did something different before coming back.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's just like, what, what were they supposed to do after Injustice for All? They, like, they took what they did in the 80s as far as they possibly could. It's like, okay, well, we're going to streamline it now and make like... Yeah. I, know, I remember Lars saying that he said that like we'd play these ten minute songs and we'd be looking out in the audience and he would just be like, <laughs>
1: <laughs> "You know," and it's not exactly like you know. You mentioned "Harvester of Sorrow" before, and that's one of the cheerier songs on yeah. the album. So,
2: <laughs> so my, that's one of my favorite songs. Uh,
0: I'm a big fan of that.
1: Any final Metallica thoughts, stories, comments? Mm.
0: I think I spoke. Up, I spoke in in defense of being a lifelong. I, I I made my case that I'm a Metallica sports fan.
1: Yes. I, yes.
0: I'm invested. I'm, I'm invested in the Metallica franchise. I think. Yeah.
1: yeah. The Metallica I mean, I've told, brand.
2: Yeah. I've told Brooks this. Like I, get, I mean, really, I don't think any other band influences me or inspires me in the songwriting department more than Metallica does. Hmm. um like they're they're my you name like oh who you think of when you like when you're writing songs like metalica like every single time it's like my go-to um as far as that uh not to sound hokey but coincidentally it would be cliff burton's 59th birthday
1: yes yes i was <laughs> mentioned that before yeah 59th birthday i they were doing some kind of virtual event for him. Um, this evening because they can they call it cliff burden day now and they had um you know some people paying tribute to him which is really cool um yeah 59 yeah. years old he would have been it's crazy I, I, uh,
0: like, uh, um my wife's uh dad so my father-in-law uh loves to to rag on metallica for being so old and doing what they're doing <laughs> and uh you know i like i 59 seems like i i guess i feel like closer to 59 than i do like yeah i I can wrap my
1: i can i mean i can have a conversation with a 59 year old i don't think i could have (laughs) you know uh, a real good conversation with a 19 year old i guess that's
0: exactly what i mean by that yeah
2: it was two things a a couple hours ago i was watching a judas priest live video from like 2018 and Rob Halford, I was just like, oh, wow, yeah, still can do it. Uh, but <laughs> uh, speaking of Judas Priest, though, and being old, uh, seeing Iron Maiden, who's even older than Metallica and like twice yeah. my age, these guys are playing three hour shows a night and they're fucking like spring jumping off the drum. Roll. Yeah, like I, I play like a song and I'm like, oh,
1: I'm like spent. Bruce it's Dickinson, so especially, is it's insane. Horrible. The fact that he's that age still has that voice, is still singing songs in like their original key, and just running around like a madman. Like I don't know how he does it. Like your your voice is supposed to naturally change as you get older. <laughs> yeah.
2: I've heard people say like, "Oh, he's pitchy." Like, Dude, he's like running a marathon. He's putting <laughs> yeah. Yeah. like he- yeah. it's like it's. Yeah. For the
1: record, I've seen them a handful of times, and he's never sounded pitchy when I've seen him. He's always sounds right on the money.
2: Yeah, I mean, on top of that though, he's always sounded great. Um, on top of that too, like you're you're not a jukebox; you're performing. Yeah. Like sometimes, like when you're performing, like your your performance, like on your instrument or whatever it is you're doing, might. You know, take a back seat for a minute. Like you might fuck things up because you're Mm -hmm. giving your all to entertain people. Like it's gonna happen. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No one came to to
0: going to see a band.
2: Yeah, nobody (laughs) came to watch you stand there and look at them. Like it's yeah, yeah.
1: I remember seeing Metallica. It was one of my first time seeing them, and they played. It was I think it was on the Saint Anger tour um and i think it was actually the song saint anger they were playing and it i could tell that james it it was very obvious that james was like running out of breath during the song Mm -hmm. because they were just playing it too fast it was probably the first time they've played it live i think it's like the first show of the tour you know and uh (laughs) afterwards he was just like Yeah, that that song's faster than I thought it was going to be. It just had to like make a joke and move on. But it's like, you know, if you're the biggest metal band in the world and you're fucking something up, like mistakes happen. You're a human. You just, you, you, you just gotta roll with it, you know? Perks, I have a question for
2: you actually while I'm thinking of it. Um, Aaron James used to play with his guitar down to his like shins. Mm -hmm. I, I would go and do that for like, Three hours a night for years, and it's just like, like,
0: <laughs> over, like and, I, and it was that fucking explorer too. So that thing weighs like like ten pounds.
1: Yeah,
0: it was so low. He's raised it since, and like yeah, it's yeah,
2: of course. back up a little higher. And it's probably, I mean, it his it, g- it had to have given him back problems. Also, like, God, how the fuck do you, like that too. yeah, how the fuck do you sing like that? Like, yeah. it's gotta <laughs> like affect the way you breathe. <laughs>
1: Yeah.
0: yeah i mean yeah and he really did you know you're talking about like uh 89 live shit. You know?
2: 89 and black album he was and,
0: and, and he it was like solo and he's hunched over i mean he looks good though he, mm. he really is he, he really does sh- unbelievably cool good shapes um yeah but, the coolest know, looking guy he looked cool as hell um but yeah like you know there's i i don't have a year of that in me let alone
1: a couple years of it oh, you know what though he also his voice in recent years he it's in fine form like i've i've I seen videos of him and he's voice. you know he's some of the older stuff that he might have struggled with like during like you know early 2000s or something mm-hmm. like he's like the kill them all era stuff. Like he's hitting some of those higher notes again. And yeah. like, he he's really pushing his range and working on his falsetto. And it's, it's, yeah. it's impressive. He's like a, he, he's sounding really solid these days.
0: Yeah. I agree. Yeah. I think, yeah, I, I, I feel like there's a professionalism that like, you know, there's sort of like untamed and, and unrefined early years they really pulled off well and then they're especially like you know as he as he got into his 40s and 50s he wasn't able to sort of even even really try so hard at pulling that off He was, you'd see live videos even like um the first SM performance like you know when they do those old songs his vocal performance on those recordings weren't super good yeah but, uh, yeah. but i feel like he's really put in the effort especially lately to to be very professional about the way uh, an older guy's voices changed and,
2: yeah. and adapt to it. Yeah. yeah, I obviously missed the bite he had in his voice back then. But I mean, like you said, his voice changed, and you also you can't sing like that forever without like damaging your voice. Yeah, so good on him.
1: Hope he's doing well. Yes, you. Yeah. Would they would they just were on. Uh stephen colbert after the super bowl i dvr'd it watched it the next day they just did inter salmon but they sounded great and uh he looked you know it's, it's fine they they all look older but they all look you know they're in they're in good shape they're doing their thing obviously you know yeah
0: living into it being professional like i really uh admire that about like i think Stephen and i talked about this all the fucking time but, like how like being a band like iron maiden like it takes a level of professionalism that you don't i i think like in our experience of being in a band is something that you don't really get like the people you run into i it partly i think it is like being working adults
1: like, yeah the people
0: you run into who have been in bands a long time they're just like you know you can hear their their band. and I, i'm like not gonna name any names obviously but like hear people, especially, I think this is especially of American bands, but, like, you hear the bands that have been around for, like, a few years, and, like, even just musically, they feel like they've let themselves go, because, like, there's not really a drive for professionalism mm-hmm. and, and, and refined, like, refined aesthetics in rock music, especially in American rock music, that I think is there in European metal music, but I think, this, yeah, like, yeah. There's, like, a sub-industry in Europe for metal bands that doesn't exist in America. Like, you can't be a rock musician in America as a job. Yeah. That, that like, doesn't exist. <laughs> every, every dude in a death metal band is, like, also a trash collector. you know? Right. right. Which is, like, the most fucking death metal job you can have. <laughs> but, you know, it, it's, like... You know, there's just not that same like, like, art artists aren't a job in America as much as they are, like in in much of the in much of the world. I think there's just not as much invested to it into it, and yeah, it, that does drive American bands to sort of like, either make a choice like, yeah, either. I, I think like, like Rip Sermon tries to handle ourselves fairly professionally and. So we've gotten really good opportunities based on like, you know, scarcity breeds demand. And I think that's been a big thing that we have had some good luck being somewhat inaccessible, but I think up until more recently, we were much more popular in Europe than we are in America.
1: Yeah. I was just thinking, I know, uh, you know, a couple people who have put on shows and, uh, it and you hear these stories about these bands too that are just like kind of prima donnas, like they're successful bands, but you know, they might be the first second band on, and they're you know complaining about the sound and this or that and they need this and that, and then you have a band uh like Metallica come in, and I and I'm speaking from you know, I'm getting secondhand information for somebody who was there firsthand. Uh Metallica played a show and they was just like a well-oiled machine comes in super professional every single person who works for them is like super professional protecting of the brand so to speak and just they come in they punish they leave and that's that it's just like that there's a reason why besides the songs and this and that there's a reason why they're at this level and then nobody has really been able to truly catch up to that yet you know
0: yeah
2: yeah it's a tight it's a tight ship with all those bands it's like it kind of blows my mind um I was listening to a podcast, uh a guitar podcast, and um, uh the Jeff Loomis was on, um and he was talking about uh just the arch enemy like crew and how like he was like, Yeah, like I mean he's like all my like my like MIDI like runs into my drummer's laptop. I don't touch any I was just <laughs> like what like that's fucking nuts. Like this crap. Yeah he says like everyone in the crew is such a perfectionist. Like everything is just like, like, I can't imagine. I would be so stressed out in that environment. Like, I mean, you probably work your way up to it, but like, I, like, if I went in there now, I would just be like, wow. I like, I'm going to get up. (laughs) I don't know
1: what I'm doing. Where can everybody find you guys find Crip Sermon? What's the best way for them to support you guys right now? Um, and find your music
0: our ba- our band camp so Crip sermon at band uh, Dodd, band whatever it is band camp sermon. i don't know look us up i'll,
1: I'll put speak. the link in the episode description yeah,
0: yeah and uh and then we're on dark descent records that's i mean i don't know you just google it it's like two <laughs> words <a year. laughs>
1: i'll put the links in the episode description so it'll be a click away for anybody who wants to you check out but in all seriousness guys uh i've loved having you on both times and uh i'm not just saying this because you guys are on the podcast um you can go on to since uh, from an episode before you are on um i gave the ruins of fading light a shout out the first album was great but i think the ruins of fading light was just i i really hold that at such a high level and I'm super excited to hear what you guys do next I'm hoping as a fan of your band I'm I have my fingers crossed you guys are working on some new stuff uh and uh I'm hoping uh you know we we'll, we'll hear it soon enough yeah
2: thanks yeah absolutely man um you'll be hearing from us probably with, sooner rather than later I would like to yeah, think
0: time time seems to seems to have stood still for about a year but you know <laughs>
1: But well, whenever you have, something new, please come back on. We'll talk about it. We'll pro. We'll, we'll promote. Do the whole. Do the whole thing.
0: And and I want to say thanks for having us on, Steven Steve and I had talked earlier and today and just was. We're so excited to like talk about Metallica for a long time because <laughs> yeah. I do that all the time.
2: <laughs> yep, yeah, Brooks and I and like along with all, all other bandmates and our friends, we just like music. You like that we like. The, we like and yeah necessarily our own so it's cool to come on a podcast and just like do what we normally do like
1: (laughs) (laughs) well you guys are literally welcome anytime because i mean that's the whole reason why i started this podcast my you know that my i always half jokingly say that my wife got tired of me turning every conversation into metallica like she would literally say she would like say something and then she'd go all right, now tell me about Metallica. Like, that was literally a quote she would say, and I'd be like, all right, I think I need to start talking to other people about this. (laughs) Some more like-minded people. (laughs) Yeah, I know how that goes. Yeah, thank you so much, Brooks. Thank you so much, Steve. This was a blast. Um, I will... Thank you to Brooks and Steve from Crip Sermon for coming back on Metallicast. Like I said at the top, they were so gracious with their time. Talked for over 90 minutes about Metallica and a little bit about Megadeth and a little bit about Danzig. All of my favorite things. Check out the links in the episode description to check them out on Bandcamp and uh, the record label Dark Descent. I highly recommend... Their album, The Ruins of Fading Light. Both their albums are fantastic. Their last album, The Ruins of Fading Light, was one of my favorite albums of the year when it came out, and I still listen to it on heavy rotation, even though it's been well over a year since I first discovered it. Check out Metallicast on social media at Metallicast on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you are new to the podcast and you like what you hear, please give me a subscription. Download the episodes. Leave me a positive five-star review on Apple Podcasts. All that goes a long way into helping the podcast continue to grow and helping me get great guests like Brooks and Steve from Crip Sermon. Until next time, ladies and gentlemen,
0: middle up your ass yeah. Fans not experts.